Wrong one. I appreciate, Tim, you doing this because I know it's completely outside your comfort zone. Uh, but thank you for blessing us with that song. Rock of Ages, Cleft for Me. It's amazing that we have uh, someone who died for us to give us foundation, to give us hope, to give us peace and assurance of life to come. It's a great song. Thank you for sharing it with us. I appreciate uh, the music ministry of the church. Thank you, Brooke, for playing for us. Uh, thank you, Tim, for sharing. If anyone wants to be part of the music ministry, uh, do special music. You can let us know. We'll get you on the schedule. We'll take anyone. If you say, well, I can't sing, well, you might be able to play harmonica. <laughs> or you say, well, I can't do that either. I, we will take anyone who wants to come up and read a poem about Christ or our faith. We'll take anyone who wants to come up and paint a picture about Christ and our faith. We'll take anyone who wants to share the gifting that God has given them in order to bring our hearts before the throne of God. Today is the fifth Sunday of the, of the month. Whenever there's five Sundays, we do something special, different. I get to preach. You all get to take a break from listening to me. Most of the time, I'll you know, say things like this, but then you won't have to hear me for the rest of the service. Uh, as I said, fifth Sunday, so we have someone special come speak sometimes. We do other things, but we also take an offering for missions. The fifth Sunday offerings is our missions offering. Uh, as I said earlier in the service, all the offering today, if it's not marked for building fund or tithes for the church, will go to RHMA to support the mission that they do. And you, if you don't know what RHMA is, you're about to find out. We have my good friend Ron Clausen and his wife Roxy here. Ron is the executive director of RHMA. Uh, and he is someone I highly look up to, who I model my ministry after of what he has done. So I appreciate his work that he has done for me, and I appreciate the work that he's doing for rural churches across the United States. But I'll let him tell you more about that. Ron? Okay, yeah. Good morning, everybody. I think Brooke and I might share some seasonal allergies or something. I don't know. So I got a little bit of water up here just in case. I'm almost past it, but uh, never know when that little bit of coughing starts. So we'll do our best. Yeah, great to be with you. Great to spend some time with Peter, Maggie, and their kids. If uh, you've not been there, I highly recommend the uh, sample motel. Um, got great accommodations. They got really fun kids. And, uh, and their rates are pretty reasonable, so uh, really not bad. Oh, and a great breakfast. We had a fantastic breakfast this morning, so really glad for the samples, and it's a privilege to be serving Christ together uh, with them uh, through RHMA. Thank you for uh, inviting Roxy and me to be with you. 33 years of traveling to all kinds of churches, found another Roxy in, in the service, so... That's, uh, that's worth saying something about. So, <laughs> But good to meet a good many of you already, and uh, thank you for allowing me to, for inviting me to talk to you about my f second favorite topic. Um, you can ask me about our brand new granddaughter later, and uh, be happy to spend another hour talking with you about her. So, pretty excited about that. First time grandparents. So, um, some of you perhaps know something about RHMA. Um, 
but uh, many of you perhaps have not really heard much, if anything, about RHMAs. So I'm happy to share just a bit with you this morning and uh, happy to just have some interaction time afterward during the Sunday school hour as well. So here's a slide, hopefully, whoops, that orientates us to what we like to call RHMA country. Yep. Not working. <laughs> okay. So, um, so my my slide uh, has a picture of McDonald's on it, and it asks the question: What is the furthest distance from McDonald's, or that you that you would find in the continental United States? So this is in Alaska. Um, what is the farthest distance? And so actually uh, heard this on the news, uh, just kind of one of those little side interesting stories. Or, or, and, uh, and then just coincidentally, a few weeks later, I was in the location where they were the farthest from McDonald's. So what I've heard is that 107 miles is the furthest that anybody has to travel in the U.S. from McDonald's. And uh, so I was speaking at this church. Uh, anybody want to guess where this might be in the U.S.? What state even? Montana's a good guess, but it's wrong. <laughs> Wyoming's a good guess. Actually, the answer is South Dakota, up in the northwest quadrant so I was in a place called Isabel, South Dakota, and uh, still not advancing, I don't think, so you can do that for me back there if, you, if you'd like, if you can. Uh, Isabel, South Dakota, and uh, I was there for a weekend conference. It was just a great church and had a good time, but several times over the weekend, I had people come up to me and they said, do you know that we're the furthest from McDonald's? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, every town likes to be known for something, right? So if uh, you're a small town, you're kind of famous or you're known for something. So what is Neely known for? If the old mill, what kind of mill? Like a flour mill? Okay. Really? Is it? It's not operating, but it's. Okay, so like, was there a Mr. Neely? So kind of a patriarch or whatever, I don't know what you call him. Anything else that Neely is known for that you'd want an outsider like Roxy and me to know about? <laughs> so I'm really hoping that we can advance the slides now because uh, I want to tell you where we're from. We're from Morton, Illinois. So there's that 107 miles, Isabel, so it's actually actually out west of Isabel, You and then go 107 miles. So can we go a little bit further? So in Morton, Illinois, we are known as the pumpkin capital of the world. Now there's other towns that will say they're the pumpkin capital, but we're really the pumpkin capital, <laughs> all right? <laughs> And the reason is because we have 
they call it Nestle's, but can you see this below it? It says home of Libby's Pumpkin. Now, how many of you have ever had a can of Libby's Pumpkin? Thank you for supporting our local economy. We appreciate it. So um, we can about 85% of the world's pumpkin can pumpkin. So I think that qualifies for being uh, pumpkin capital of the world. So this is what some of our fields look like in our area. Now we have lots of corn and soybeans, but we also have pumpkins, and it's really fun to watch pumpkins being harvested. And our road hazard is falling pumpkins off of semi-trailers. So uh, that's, that's really a thing. So we have an annual pumpkin festival. Do you have a, a festival here in Ely? Yeah, yeah. And that's something small towns like to do. And we also used to do until a few years ago, uh, the, the state shut us down. Uh, we used to do what we call pumpkin chucking. So this is a great combo for us because we have a lot of caterpillar people in our area and uh, uh, hundreds, probably thousands of cat engineers. So there's nothing they like to do better than get together on a Saturday in their garages and build stuff. And so they build contraptions that chuck pumpkins. Well, the problem was they got so good at it that they made these cannons, and these cannons literally almost chuck pumpkins a mile. So we have the Guinness World Record in Morton, Illinois, of chucking pumpkins. Well, then that gets to be a problem with airplanes and drones and other things, so the state says you can't do that anymore. So it was a lot of fun while it lasted, but that's kind of what we're known for in Morton, Illinois. So Isabel is known for being 107 miles from McDonald's. Now what this tells us is that there is some extremely isolated places that still exist right here in the US. One of the things that I get asked real often is, how do you define rural? <laughs> now, I don't know, how would you define rural? What I find real interesting is that uh, the U.S. government has about 25 different definitions for rural, some of which contradict each other. So that gets real interesting when you're trying to apply public policy and you don't even know who it's for because you don't know how to define rural. By one definition, the entire state of Arkansas is rural. So. What do you do? How do you define rural? Well, I make it real simple. I say rural is any place that's five miles from McDonald's, and then I think you're rural. So we like to call this RHMA country. Now, some folks ask the question, why in the world do you go out in the middle of nowhere? And I would counter with another question. I would say, is it nowhere if there are people there whom God loves and for who Christ died? And for that reason, we at RHMA actually like to call it somewhere, except my slide is, there we go, somewhere. Did you know that, maybe you've never thought about this, did you know that a good deal of our Lord's ministry happened in places that we might say were out in the middle of nowhere. 
in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, we find a summary of our Lord's ministry when he was on earth. Matthew 9, 35. And again, I'm not able to advance, so can't do it. There we go. So maybe you're familiar with Matthew 9:35. It says, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages. Peter, can you just advance one more? So some of the translations, including the NIV, actually use the word or translate the word here, towns and villages, because I think they rightly know or have noticed that the vast majority of use of that Greek word is in reference to a larger small town as opposed to a smaller small town. So back in the day, a large small town would probably be like Neely, uh, maybe three, four, five thousand. Uh, cities back then would have been like twenty-five to fifty thousand. So it's a little bit different. But uh, real often the word is towns, and this tells us that our Lord went through the towns and villages, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. So sometimes even today, we refer to small towns as cities. For instance, RHMA is planting a, a church in Garden City, Utah. 500 people, not a city. Um, uh, one of our board members uh, used to be a pastor in, a, in Dallas City. Not Dallas the city, but Dallas City, Illinois, uh, population 900. So sometimes we even today conflate those, those words as well. There's about four dozen times in the New Testament in the Gospels where we are told where Christ ministered. Uh, sometimes it's plural, like here, towns and villages. So we know that our Lord was in dozens and dozens of small towns, and often he was out in the countryside as well. Of the four dozen times that we're told where Christ ministered, about six of those times we find him in Jerusalem. About twice we find him in cities, and there were quite a few cities around. As far as we know, Christ never went there. And of the remaining 40 or so times, we find our Lord ministering out in the country. And Christ not only devoted much of his ministry to remote places, he also validated ministry in places like these, this. So the Great Commission says, go into all the world, not just the cities, but all the world. He says in Acts 1.8, be my witnesses in the remotest part of the world. The remotest part. Even Neely's not the remotest part. There's a place out there. It's 107 miles from McDonald's. Um, and then, of course, he told the parable of the one lost sheep and to what great length the shepherd went to find that lost sheep way out uh, in the country. I think you could rightly say that our Lord was a rural missionary or a rural minister. So, Peter and Maggie, you're in, in good, good company. Uh, Cam Townsend. So, uh, in one of his letters, maybe you recognize Cam, he's the founder of Wycliffe Bible Translators. As you know, Wycliffe goes to some really remote places, and there are people that spend 20 years of their lives translating the Bible for just a few hundred people. 
Ham said, the devil has tempted some of us to forget the smaller language groups. The temptation has been that since many of the tribal groups are small, we shouldn't expect talented men or women to dedicate 10 or more years of their lives to learning the language of a few hundred people and to translate the New Testament for them. However, when the temptation came to bypass these smaller groups, the Lord spoke to me and reminded me that he had commanded us to go to every creature. I know it's true that some are called to shepherd the ninety and nine, but others are called to go out in the wilderness in quest of the one lost sheep. Similarly, Jim and Janice Walton, a missionary couple who for many years served in a remote tribe in Colombia, penned a book titled, uh, Sent to the River that God Forgot. So sometimes it seems so desolate that even, did God forget about us out here? It maybe feels like that sometimes. And the Waltons asked, so why did God, didn't God call us to more people? Maybe even some Christians quietly wondered if by putting resources into such a small tribe, they might not be neglecting a larger work. The decision didn't make much sense to some people, sometimes not even to us. Why bother with the small, the isolated? Why desert the crowds for one Ethiopian? Why leave the 99 and seek out the one? Unless, of course, the one is who? And then all of a sudden, the one kind of becomes important, right? So kind of amazing to think about, isn't it, that the God of the universe, as Amy Carmichael says, doesn't love in the mass, but in ones. God doesn't lump us all together and love us millions at a time. Now, God loves millions of people, but he loves us and cares for us one at a time. Now, that's incredible to think about. The navigators, well known for their evangelism and discipleship ministries, capture, I think, God's heart with their slogan, which is reaching the world one person at a time. Malcolm Muggridge said that there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents is an anti-statistical proposition. Did you know that there are many influential Christians today? There are a number of church growth and missions agencies today that think that we should focus our missions and evangelism on the cities. I think folks like this need to consider our Lord's example, first of all, as well as our Lord's teaching. Time and time again, we actually see our Lord ministering to people one at a time. Isn't that right? In the Gospels? A striking example, I think, is in Mark chapter 6, verse 56. It says, he, wherever he came, in villages, cities, and now we take it a step further, the countryside, it's the word agros. It means field or farm. So you can hear the word agriculture in the word. So Christ would actually go to that one lost person out in the countryside, maybe in a field or a farm. Another great example, I don't have this one on a slide, Peter, but um, Mark chapter 5, we find our Lord getting into a boat crossing the Sea of Galilee to heal one demon-possessed man who, remember, he was just kind of out in the countryside making a nuisance of himself. And his, the healing was memorable, especially to people in 
Iowa, Nebraska, because what did he do? He cast the demons into what? Pigs, a herd of pigs. And, uh, and they went over a cliff. And then what did our Lord do? He hopped back in the boat. He went back across the Sea of Galilee. So that great shepherd crossed the sea to reach one lost sheep. To what great length he went out of concern for one soul. And I think that is really instructive uh, for us today. So we've talked about what RHMA country kind of places we go. Uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, RHMA itself for just a bit. So the next slide, RHMA stands for, and Peter, the answer is what? Yeah, go ahead, click the next slide. Now you've seen, you've seen Peter and me, I mean you know the answer, right? So the answer is C, and uh, it came from our founder, Mr. C.J. Rediger. Uh, when he was a young man, he was familiarizing himself with rural life, so he was out traveling about and just asking God to give him a heart for rural life, and one day he got stuck out on a dirt road somewhere, and the person who came and pulled him out said, well, if you don't mind that, you'll make a good rural home missionary and that just kind of stuck with him back in the day there was kind of a distinction between home missions and and foreign missions and so it totally made sense and Rediger said I didn't mind and so that's how we got the name of our mission that's kind of a long name so almost always 99 times out of 100 we'll say RHMA and that uh, kind of shortens it up for us so as Mr. Rediger was driving around, he was exposed to the spiritual needs out in the country. Uh, a vision began to be formed in him, and uh, he began to think about starting a mission. So that asks, means we ask the next question, what year did RHMA come into existence? And we'll give you just a little hint here with the next slide. Or maybe not. So, Gene, where's Gene? What year were you born? 43. 43. You're just a young guy then. Yeah. So, been born, been around almost as long as, as RHMA. So, this is kind of a banner year for us. If you do the math, we're celebrating our 80th anniversary year uh, to this, this year. Um, we're praising God for that because many missions that were founded 80 years ago are no longer in existence today. Um, other missions, maybe rural ministries that started, uh, have broadened their focus, and by doing so, their impact in rural America has lessened. RHMA, through all of its 80 years, has steadfastly and maybe even stubbornly remained committed to reaching rural America for Christ. And uh, by God's grace, he's allowing us to make a bit of progress out there in the rural places of our country. So at this point, we have a founder, a vision was beginning to emerge, but we didn't have a home. And that changed one day when a lady in Morton, Illinois, went to Mr. Rediger and said, I've got a building you can have. 
So for about 25 years, we were in this building, and then we moved to another building, renovated that. This building served us well for 40 years, I think. And then the Lord enabled us to build a building on the edge of town, still pretty much surrounded by cornfields, but uh, this is where our home office staff works today. And we're very thankful to be in Morton for a number of reasons, but one is that they're a very strong, supportive community. We're so blessed with dozens of churches and hundreds of people that support the ministry of RHMA within probably a couple of hours where, where we are located. Having that kind of base enables us then to go to far-flung places where there's not a strong Christian presence or no pre Christian presence at all. So we're very thankful to be in Morton. So speaking of the ministry of RHMA, what two words best describe our mission? We're talking about on a good day now. Uh, hopefully not B. <laughs> so our mission is to plant and strengthen churches, and uh, you will see that at, uh, our, with our logo uh, any time that, that you, you read or our, our look at it, our logo. So this mission tells where we plant. Uh, there's our mission, then the next slide tells where we plant. In small towns, generally speaking, definitely towns smaller than 5,000, often much smaller than 5,000. So we're often in towns like Isabel, South Dakota, 300 people. Those are kind of RHMA kinds of, of towns. It tells what we do. Two things, we plant churches um, in small towns. So we have a staff of church planters who go out into uh, communities that lack a vibrant, gospel-proclaiming, Bible-teaching church, and we help get churches started there. So let me show you one of our most striking examples of this. Colorado City, not Colorado, <laughs> Uh, Colorado City, Arizona, actually, although it's close to, it's right on the Colorado border. Um, another example of a city that's not a city, uh, there's about uh, 4,000 people in Colorado City, and until recently, this community that was founded back in the 1930s, community of 4,000 people, had never had a Christian church of any kind in the community, any kind of Christian church. And that's because the community was founded by the FLDS, the fundamental Mormons. They consider themselves the true Mormons. They think most Mormons have uh, abandoned the true, true Mormonism. And they had a complete lock on this community. The FLDS Corporation owned the entire town, so there was no private property in town. And I'm guessing that probably just about everybody here has actually heard about Colorado City. It's made the national news many times. Its prominent resident, whoops, let's go back one. Uh, prominent resident was Warren Jeffs, uh, their lead prophet. Uh, Warren Jeffs, for a number of years now, has been a resident of tech in Texas in a federal prison. And that's because of uh, the next slide. Uh, many of his 60-plus uh, wives were child brides. A lot has been written about this. Uh, lots of several documentaries. You could go to 
Google ABC 2020. They devoted a whole hour uh, talking about Colorado City. So let's, the, the whole town was a corporation, so the FLDC, FLDS owned the entire corporation. And uh, let's keep going. So when you drive into town, it's like, man, this is different. So you'll see a lot of unfinished homes. Um, and uh, you'll say, why? Well, there's somehow they get a tax break if they're not finished. So they, they have big old homes because they all have a bunch of brides or, whim or wives. And then the next house, you walk the streets and you see people look different. And uh, next slide, you also notice a bunch of fences around the properties because they don't want people like you and me driving through town and kind of taking a look. And this is a fancy fence. Uh, it's the, the profits get those, and they get the fancy houses. The most people in town get uh, like 10 corrugated fences. It doesn't look attractive at all. This is the meeting house for the FLDS. And uh, let's move on to the next. I'm happy to say that uh, for about 10 years now, RHMA has, has been there. Uh, so the Olson family just had a special heart for uh, the ministry there. And uh, it started out as actually a stealth ministry. They lived in someone's basement for three years. And uh, uh, they have made incredible inroads into this community. Um, while all of this was going on, the federal government finally was able to step in. Because of issues with separation of church and state, it was pretty challenging for them to do that, but they finally were able to do it on the basis of corruption. And uh, so, in short, they broke up the corporation, and so now there was private property that, or, that could be bought, and the Olsons actually bought the first personal private property, uh, first home in town. About five years ago, we sent another couple there because there's a lot of work to be done in this community, the Evans family. And these folks, are, are we, they have purchased or we've purchased a building. So let's look at the next. So this has become kind of a community building with a thrift store because, you know, most of us only have one wife and it's pretty hard to make ends meet and, and take care of our family with just one. Imagine if you had a bunch of wives and maybe 20 kids, it's pretty hard to take care of all of them. So there's a thrift store that's just really uh, meeting a need in the community. They have a coffee shop there. It's a gathering kind of place, including Sunday services, which I'm happy to tell you they're averaging between 60 and 80 in attendance on a Sunday morning right now. So it's an amazing story. They're right now in the process of raising money to erect a church building, and they're actually hoping to have that framed up by the end of the year. So God's doing an amazing work in Colorado City, Arizona. I think lots of, lots of uh, stuff goes on in the community. They've had a number of missions teams come in and help them out, different kinds of ministries and, and, and projects. So this is an example of unreached people right here in the U.S. Who would think there's a pocket of 4,000 people unreached right in the U.S.? This is rural America. It's off the interstate, rural America, remote for the most part. 
So speaking of unreached, here's a, a slide of about 175 counties in the U.S., almost all of them rural, that have less than 5% evangelical Christians, less than most countries that we send missionaries to around the world. And the next slide is one that puts things in perspective. So we often hear about Muslim countries, and rightfully so, a people group where there's a minuscule amount of Christians in Muslim countries, 1-2%. Did you know we have places like this right here in the U.S.? So watch the slide as it morphs into the next one. I already did that. Go to go back so we can see it. So watch the slide. Less than 1% Muslim and now less than 1% in Franklin County, Idaho. So the next slide shows a picture of a church that uh, one of our couples planted in uh, Preston, Idaho, which is the county seat in, of Franklin County. Right now we're planting at least three churches that are in communities and counties where there's fewer than 5% evangelical Christians. So there are places like that. And we've also begun what we call our Back 40 Unreached Initiative. We're seeking to impact 40 unreached communities in the next 10 years with our uh, church planting efforts. I put a little bit of information about that at a display back at the, in, in the back table if you'd like to take that and maybe make that a matter for prayer because that's a pretty significant work that we're doing as we reach out in some of these uh, very unreached places right here. And recently, we've just brought the Boosnitz family into our home office, and Kurt has become our director of church planting, so he will be the one that leads this, uh, this Back 40 church planting initiative. So the second aspect of our mission, we plant churches and we also strengthen churches by sending pastors to help churches that are seeking someone to come alongside and help them to become stronger as a church, and uh, so they look to us uh, to, to do that. So an example of this would be uh, Crawford, Nebraska. Maybe you're familiar with uh, Crawford. Um, population of about a thousand, so that's kind of RHMA country for us. Um, the church there had dwindled down to about less than a dozen in size. Um, they had not had a pastor for almost 20 years. Um, the building was run down, kind of neglected, and we sent the Bagley family there, and uh, this meant that they had what we like to call an incarnational ministry with the pastor living in town, so there's no drive-in preacher, but he's actually living in the community, which I think is really important. And uh, Bill gave himself full-time to the church, and then a group of folks from a church just close to us, one of those churches I mentioned earlier, uh, in Morton, close to Morton, about just up the road about six miles, uh, Grace Bible Church sent a group of, I think, 26 people to do an extreme makeover, RHMA's uh, definition of extreme makeover, so we could kind of run through a few slides. Just imagine how this is the talk of a town, when all of a sudden you got 26 people in the heart of the town, and here's kind of a before and after picture of what they accomplished in a week's time. So 
And just as an aside, the pastor of this church is now our director designate at RHMA um, because I'm going to be stepping back from the ministry at the end of 2023. So he has just moved into the office and he will be replacing me uh, at the end of uh, 2023. He's got extensive experience with RHMA as his church has done, I think, six extreme makeovers now in different RHMA communities, and uh, he's been an RHMA board member, and he's done a number of other things with us as well. His name is Adam Kipp, so something, someone else to be praying for. So RHMA has formed as well a church-strengthening partnership here uh, with, with you folks, and Peter and Maggie serve with us as an RHMA missionary couple, and uh, our desire is that they and you and we at the RHMA Home Office can collectively together uh, be used of God to strengthen the ministry of Calvary Bible Church right here in, in Neely. So we have other church-strengthening ministries as well. Just look at these quickly. We have what we call a conference and seminar ministry. We do small-town pastors' conferences for folks that are all over the country. We've had... Uh, up to 500 come from like 30 states and Canada. Just do some really neat things together. Maybe you remember Peter and Maggie. These are some of our speakers. Uh, Peter and Maggie in April, they left you for a week, right? Well, this is where they went. They came to RHMA where they could have uh, and join us and a bunch of other small town pastors. We also provide training for new town and country pastors. Uh, Here's one of our brochures. Has, uh, it's, it's incredible, but about three out of four seminary grads when they will find themselves in a uh, smaller community and a smaller church. And uh, about half of these have no experience in that kind of context whatsoever. So it's a very different thing for them to go into a ministry like this. And so we developed our, what we call our TACT program. We partner with uh, a number of seminaries. And uh, we have certainly some classroom time together. This is in our, our office building that you saw earlier. And uh, we provide special training here. Uh, they're getting into a people mover because we not only provide classroom training, but we take them out and let them rub shoulders with rural people here we're talking to a hospital administrator, a rural hospital, and guess who have joined us for some of these classes? So you can see them dug up a few old pictures of talking to a small town pastor. We eat together um, in small town cafes and that sort of thing. And, and keep in mind that about half of our students are not from that kind of environment. So let me just kind of tell you what happened uh, two years ago, when our TAC class, we went to, by the way, this guy here in the bottom right corner, he had never fished in his life, not one time, and look what he caught. He was so proud. And the next, about half of our students have never shot a gun, so we got to let them do that. And uh, I love, this is my favorite TAC picture over here. Look how shocked she is, because she actually hit a clay pigeon. And the guy who's coaching her, helped help her shoot a gun, is like, I think he's absolutely amazed as well. He, she actually hit it. So, but, uh, um, so we were at a, a John Deere implement dealership. We brought our class, and there's a, a believer there who's great, 
takes us on a tour. During the tour, one of the students pointed at one of the pieces of equipment and he said, so what is that? And I said, well, that's a tractor. Another student in the same group pointed at another piece of equipment and he said, what is that? And I said, it's a combine. So we're not talking about some obscure kind of farm equipment here, but we're talking about students who were raised in the city and yet about, about half of new pastors going into rural environments are not from there. And so we think that our, our ministry, our training for them is, is incredibly important. So we provide another kind of training as well. This is a master's level. Now this is uh, a few years ago, we started a doctor of ministry cohort uh, with Dallas Seminary. Um, I think it's the only cohort in the country for rural and small town pastors. All of these guys are rural and small town pastors. Again, you might recognize that really handsome ministers association uh, guy there. And uh, so he's a member of our cohort, and it's been just an absolutely fun thing to do. Just fanning that rural ministry flame, continuing to learn and grow together with peers who have a similar heart and, and a passion for, for rural uh, people and places. And it's just been a, a blast. And I've loved having Peter as, as one of our, our students. And then we also strengthen through a lot of resources that you can get on our, our website. So the key to everything we do is church. We're very church-centered, and this hit Roxy and me years ago when uh, we were pastoring in the Sandhills of Nebraska. You ever heard of the Sandhills? Most people haven't. Uh, and uh, we saw a lot of ministries come and go, you know, sometimes, there are good ministries, not bad ministries. It might be a concert in the park. It might be somebody doing a a uh, week-long VBS, uh, might be a camp ministry, whatever. Good stuff. And it could be the talk of the town while it was happening or going to happen. And, uh, but then when it was done, we noticed that, you know, there just wasn't anything that remained from that. We could see that in communities all around us. And so Roxy and I just came to the conviction, found out later that RHMA has the same conviction that the way to, uh, to extend uh, the life of ministries like these is to have a church in the community. So if there's fruit from these kind of ministries, there's a church that can then be engaged with those folks, and it can be a much longer ministry than just maybe a fleeting few days. And so uh, we resonated with RHMA's heart where they're very, very church-centered, and everything we do is focused on the local church. So, what, uh, how can you get involved? You can get on our mailing list, if you like. You can sign up at a display in the back. Certainly welcome your prayers for us. Um, plant a church with us. I think you are actually have some possibilities in that area. I don't know how much... Uh, how much everybody knows about what could happen with church planting around here, so uh, that's certainly a possibility. Um, always welcome your finances, and by the way, thank you very much for uh, your offering that you're providing today for RHMA. Really, really appreciate that. So if you like more information, we're going to have a Q&A time here in just a, a few minutes. 
I want to close with another verse, on the, and there's also more information on our website, so welcome you to, to look there. So in Luke chapter 13, we find that Jesus went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And as he was doing that, so just picture our Lord going, kind of just walking along toward Jerusalem, stopping and talking to the rural people. Someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? There's not the numbers potential out here, Lord. Uh, why don't we just kind of quickly move along? Let's get to the city where there's a lot of people, and yet that's not what our Lord did. Our Lord, thankfully, had a heart for rural people and rural places. Leon Morris, with this text, says, the impression Luke conveys is that Jesus journeyed on towards Jerusalem without haste and with many pauses for teaching in small villages. This is God's heart for people in remote places. And thank goodness it is, right? Because that means that God has a heart for you and for me. Can we close in prayer? That work? Um, and I think maybe Brooke is going to lead us in another allergy hymn or whatever. <laughs> so let's pray. Father, we do want to just pause here and thank you for your heart. We've gotten a glimpse of that today, and we know that through all of eternity, we'll be learning more and more about your heart. And Lord, we just pray that you will give us a similar heart for those around us and for those down the road uh, in a neighboring town or community that may not have a church, that maybe uh, this church can be used to plant a church perhaps in one of those communities uh, someday. Help us, Lord, to see people and places as you do. And uh, give us your heart, we pray, in the name of Christ. Amen. You're good. Peter leaves all his stuff up here all the time, so it's okay. <laughs> You're welcome to. <laughs>